Welcome to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Listening to a sermon, it's something a Christian should do weekly, but do we always do it well? On this bully pulpit, the hosts take a stab at answering that question. At the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how to download an MP3 from the Alliance. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. We're actually uh, filming on location at uh, Todd's Church today. Amy and I have been struggling with uh, insomnia for a couple of months now, and somebody recommended coming along and hearing Todd preach as a possible way of getting over that. I have to say, I've not had such a good, deep, long sleep for the past 45, 50 minutes. It's been about a half hour or so, and I've I've doodled a a wonderful picture of my dream house and my grocery list. I'm very happy for the both of you. I would say, (laughs) when I think of Todd preaching, soporific is the word that comes (laughs) straight to mind. Um, it's like it's like verbal tamazepam, if I could put it that way. So, but it, it does raise the question of, of how should one listen to preaching? How should one even listen to bad preaching like Todd's? Yeah, I mean, is, 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 is there a, a way to, to approach it? Um, oh. We're just going to get all this in and remember yeah. it later. But there's a lot written about how to preach. A lot of us mm-hmm. people talk about what a good sermon should look like, how to construct a good sermon, how to execute a passage. It's not so much written on how bit. to listen to a sermon. There's a little bit. There's a nice little booklet by Christopher Ashe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but very little, yeah. Yeah, but most people, of course, are listening to sermons, not writing them. Right. And so it would seem that, that reflecting for a, for a while on, on how one should listen mm-hmm. appropriately to a sermon. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's listening right now. It's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, one, one thought that, that I tend to have on, on Sunday mornings as, as I think through, you know, before you get up there and, and preach, you, you know, you're praying for your congregation. You're just asking the Lord to really do good work through his word. But, but one of the things that, I, that I'm jealous for the folks that I preach to to understand is that what's getting ready to happen is that a sermon – properly prepared, we understand, a sermon that, that truly is biblical, um, is a means that God uses um, to speak to his people, to nourish his people, to convict of sin, to bring to faith. And so I, I, I'm jealous for them to understand, you know, Romans 10, um, faith comes by hearing. I'm jealous for them to understand that that what's getting ready to happen is, is in a sense, God addressing his people so that it's actually um, an important moment not not because of the preacher, but because of how God has chosen to use the proclamation of his word um, in their lives. Because so many of the voices out there are telling our people that that preaching is not effective anymore. We need to have new words to, or, or new forms to, um, to, to reach folks. Preaching is passe. But, I mean, it was passe in Paul's day, wasn't it? It's not, it, it, it's, as far as... Uh, preaching seemed to be a, a rather foolish thing to Paul as well. Well, certainly in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is taking a lot of flack for the fact that his his preaching is not up to the the aesthetic standards right. of the day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think Paul's preaching was not outwardly impressive mm-hmm. by the standards they did not conform to the canons of what you were meant to do right. well, if you to influence a crowd. Right. 
I think we often think of, of hearing as a passive thing. Mm-hmm. Like we're just to sit there and then magically the means of grace is happening and um, it's a very, like our role as congregants is a passive role. Yeah. But um, we see that hearing is a command and there's a d- big difference too. I'm always telling my children this when I'm trying to tell, talk to them. You might be listening, but you're not hearing yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. And Sorry, Amy, I was, I was only <laughs> Shut up, Carl. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. And, and that, that comes down to, I mean, some really practical things, I think, that, that churches can do to communicate the importance of the preached word and, and to help people listen actively. I think there's some real basic things, you know, that... Very basic things. Yeah, like one, one thing we do that I, I really appreciated when I came to Covenant, one thing they do is that they send out an email on Friday or Saturday mm-hmm. to everybody in the church um, that tells them what's going to be happening that Sunday. It go, This is the text of scripture. Here are some thoughts about the content of that text. Um, some words about the, some of the songs we'll be uh, singing. And... Preparation. I, I, it prayer. is. It's a way to say, let's go in, hearts prepared, minds ready, knowing what the text is, knowing what mm-hmm. kind of the central themes are. Let's be ready for that. And I've been real helped by that, encouraged that, that our folks are, are, are receiving that mm-hmm. as a way of preparation. I think posture has something to do with it too. I see this with my with my children. Mm-hmm. I have to teach them to be good hearers of the word. And so I always say to them, sit up straight, yeah. you know, not this kind of, or laying around on the mm-hmm. pew kind of thing, and make eye contact with the pastor, um, and then be actively thinking about what they're saying and connecting that to other parts of scripture, right. or to your own personal experiences. Ask some questions mm-hmm. in your mind. Um, those are all ways to I try to prepare my children to learn to be active listeners yeah. to the sermon. But you know, you see in Hebrews as well, um, which is a sermon letter, mm-hmm. um, beginning of chapter two, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Mm-hmm. And that's a constant um, command throughout Hebrews. And then he, he gets mad there and he says, you know, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. This is chapter five, verse 11. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles mm-hmm. of God. So here he's saying, you know, you've been sitting under the preached yeah. word, you should know this stuff. You've been hearing you it, but you haven't really been listening to you've it. You've been you listening been, and yep. you haven't been hearing. Right, really. right. Is that, which way does it go? Which, either know. way, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you're not, you're not taking this in. Mm-hmm. You're not meditating on it. You're not being diligent in the word of God, mm-hmm. yeah. which the confession tells us to be, mm-hmm. right, Carl? Yeah, I was just looking at larger catechism, question 160, as one does. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what is required of those that hear the word preached? It is required of those that hear the word preached that they attend upon it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Examine what they hear by the scriptures, Receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. Meditate and confer of it, hide it in their hearts, mm. and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Yeah. That's a beautifully comprehensive statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, so listening to the word, you've got to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. You don't just come along and, and sit down and expect the, the, the preacher to inject information into your head. Yeah. You have to prepare <laughs> your heart for receiving it. You're to search the scriptures to see that these things are so. But with an attitude of trust. Right. If you've called a man and you trust him to preach the word, then you're not going in assuming he's a heretic right. and trying to find proof text to prove that he's a heretic. You're assuming he's giving you the truth, but you're judiciously checking what he mm-hmm. says, 
by Scripture so that you're constantly being drawn back into the Word, yeah. back into the Word of Scripture. You're meant to meditate on it, confer on it. You're meant to think about it after the sermon's mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. chat to other friends about it, and then you're meant to store it in your hearts and, and, and bring forth the fruit of it in your life. You're meant to go out and do things yeah. because of it. Now, I would want to add one little qualification to that, and one thing that I've come Is up a number a of times— no, I don't want to qualify the confession, but one of the pastoral questions I some get, sometimes get asked by students and even by congregants is, you know, I don't remember many sermons. Students yeah. will come to me and say, you know, I, I, I've heard hundreds of sermons, but I don't remember mm-hmm. many sermons. And that can be a, a perplexing thing for people. I would say that the larger catechism there isn't pointing to the fact that we need to remember sermons. Mm-hmm. I went to a school where I was taught Latin from the age of 11 or 12 by an excellent Latin teacher. I can now read Latin pretty mm-hmm. pretty straightforwardly. I cannot remember a single Latin lesson. Right. I mean, I know it was there. I remember the room. I remember what the teacher looked like. I don't remember any specific Latin That's a, lesson. That's a good analogy. But my mind has been shaped to right. be able to read Latin. And I think that listening to preaching is a bit like that. Mm. We shouldn't get too hung up on not being able to remember specific sermons. Obviously, there are some sermons that are always rem- memorable. You know, I remember the first time I heard you preach, Todd, first time I'd slept through an entire service <laughs> undisturbed. It's fantastic. But there are certain sermons that will stick in our minds. But by and large, it's not by hiding these things in our heart, it's not that we're developing a back catalogue of memorized sermons or memorized points. Right. Yeah. We're taking the truth of those sermons and allowing them incrementally, slowly but mm-hmm. surely, through the Spirit over time, yeah. to shape our characters. They shape us. And to shape we're us. Shaped by them. To shape our beliefs, to refine us, mm-hmm. to prepare us for, for eternity. Right. So I would say that with all of our emphasis on the importance of listening mm-hmm. actively to sermons, let's not get too hung up about remembering specific mm-hmm. sermons. Yeah, I think, that's a great, I think that's a great illustration. And to be reminded again that it's... it's you know, I, I was so happy. One of, one of the happy things about becoming Presbyterian was was this category of means of grace, and and to understand and to help people understand that it's under the preaching of the word that God does so much good work in us. And and again, it's not in that mem- you know you're able to memorize the points of a particular sermon, but what He's doing is He's opening up the word to you. Um, the word is you're becoming enculturated to the word of God. The Spirit is sealing the gospel yeah. on your yeah. heart each and, and we're to be engaged in that. We're not just going through the motions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we are to have that readiness as yeah. we come to listen and, and be engaged in the Word of God being preached to us. Yeah. And, um, and that makes a, a big difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this is how God has always assembled his people and spoken to his people, um, by bringing them together under one who pronounces the Word of God to them. Uh, you know, preaching... Uh, is not an invention of the Enlightenment era. Uh, this is how God has always brought his people together to address them and to teach them and to form them through the proclamation of his word. And that's one of the things I try to re- remind our folks periodically on Sunday mornings is, remember, what we're getting ready to do is something that God has been calling his people to for thousands of years now. It's a great privilege. This act. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it connects to daily Bible reading. I know that in certain Presbyterian circles, sadly, there's a lot of mockery of yeah. private quiet times. Right. And I certainly would not want to judge somebody's piety by whether they have a quiet time every day or not. But I think it is of an, you know, it's always an advantage to know more of the Word of God than right. less of the Word of God. <laughs> right. So the more we read it, yeah. the better it is. 
the more we read of the Word of God during the week, the more our hearts are being shaped and formed by it for proper reception of the proclamation of the Word of God, which I think is the central mm-hmm. act of Christian mm-hmm. piety yeah. on a Sunday, um, the more we're being prepared for it. Yeah. So those who deride the quiet time, you know, I know you're, you're, you're having a swipe at, you know, evangelical pietism sure. well frankly it's a sad thing that the word pietism is seen as a negative right. in, in many places there is such a right. thing as piety and there is such a thing as equipping yourself with the word of god mm-hmm. for the better reception of the word of god yeah. in the public worship of the yeah. Word. yeah and i would just encourage pastors and elders to to explain these things to, mm-hmm. to their flock because yeah. particularly you know if, if they're coming out of a typical evangelical church no one's ever taught them exactly why we're doing this in the first place, why we listen to preaching in the first place. So explain it to your churches, help them with some some tools, let them know in advance what you're going to be preaching on. Uh, You know, we we have printed up sermon notes that I do for our church every week and have uh, generally we'll have a, a section of discussion questions that maybe they can do over lunch together, just those kinds of things to help them continue to to kind of meditate on that passage of scripture. So just do all we can to help them be good hearers. That is, of course, predicated on the fact that you've got your sermon done by Friday, whereas some of us uh, are still working on our sermons at quarter past nine on Sunday morning. (laughs) And Carl, having heard you preach, it does sound a little bit like you've just thrown it together. So (laughs) anyway. Yeah, and I don't have people like you. I I, I am my people, unfortunately. So, well, anyway, uh, anyway, Todd, if you could get back up in the pulpit there, I think Amy and I could uh, do with a little bit more rest before we get home. So uh, if you want to start expanding the word to us, we will get a little bit of uh, shut eye here so <laughs> thank you very much for joining the mortification of spin uh, please join us and fall asleep again next time in the interim visit our website mortificationofspin.org wake up wake up please Susie wake up we've both been sound asleep wake up please Susie and weep the movie's over it's four o'clock and we're in trouble deep wake up please Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Make sure to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download the MP3 message, How to Listen to a Bad Sermon, by Ligon Duncan. And be sure to join us next time for a discussion with Scott Manage on John Calvin and his influence on pastoral training, the role of the pastor, and much more. What might surprise people about Calvin, the man, the pastor? Well, a couple things come to mind. Uh, one, uh, the stereotype that Calvin was the dictator of Geneva or the, the Pope of Geneva is really laid to rest when you look at how Calvin ministered in Geneva along with, as, as a colleague with, a group of really 18 to 20 other men. Why did you decide to study Calvin's approach to training of pastors and pastoral ministry in particular? He's, he's one of many reformers one could have chosen, but you decided for, for Calvin. Why is that? I want to rewind a little bit to one of the topics you brought up in the in the meetings, ignorance. And I just look at the Christian market today and some of the books that, and it's kind of a, a pet project or pet peeve of mine, but um, you know, the books that are being marketed to the Reformed Church even. All that next time 
And don't forget to head over to mortificationofspin.org to read and comment on articles from Amy, Todd, and Carl. Maybe you guys could cut out that long, awkward pause there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, who's going to go next? Mm. Uh. <laughs> yeah.